Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pajama Interviews, a podcast for women experiencing chronic illness. I'm your host, Michelle Irving, and I'm extremely thrilled to share with you today's guest, Samantha Wills. Plus, stay tuned at the end where I'll be sharing more about how to connect with Samantha and her book, plus how to connect with other women as part of the Pajama Interviews Facebook group. So welcome to the PJ's interview, Samantha. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real treat to speak with you. I've read your book. I'm so grateful for it. It really touched me deeply. I'm wondering if you can share with us first why you wrote it. Yeah, so I wrote Off Golden Dust. And look, it's been in work for... Gosh, I probably started it three years ago and obviously with um, the current climate, it was due a year ago, but it was really great that it got pushed back because I was able to add, um, as you spoke about just in that intro, some really important elements to it. So um, I started writing it to kind of parallel, uh, well, when I signed the contract, it was as a business memoir. And as, you know, the more that I wrote, I realised that it's, it's about showing that parallel is what I really wanted to do with the book and kind of like that public brand and, and private life. And, um, you know, not just the highlight reels and the hurdles, but what's that human element in between and um, how do they coexist? So what people might have seen publicly versus, hey, this was really going on behind the scenes. So um, it's it's probably my most vulnerable work, uh, body of work to date. And, yeah, I really wanted to... Um, share that information not only with other creative entrepreneurs but with with women I think it relates even if you don't have a business it's very much about you know we we try and keep running at the top but underneath it's you know there's so much more going on so I hope that that's communicated in the pages. It really is and to me there's that parallel in that sort of stardom and that lots of flashing lights of you in the public realm and then the inner dynamic, which actually is often the experience for women living with invisible illness, is that there's the public front and then there's come home and be in the fetal position in pain on the floor. So one of the things that I really found touching in your book is that this was a spiritual journey for you as well and you talk about it as the alchemy of the human spirit and the dark emotions are where you go both personally but you actually share about this in the book. I'm wondering if you can talk to us about, you know, it takes a lot to go into the dark emotions and sometimes you don't have a choice. So what were they like for you and how did you find your way through? Yeah, and I... I the way that you speak it is so eloquent and you make it sound like I was like, I'm just going to go into a dark place now to deal with this, which is so gracious of you, um, which was not the case. I, I chose none of those dark times, but, you know, as you said, the universe, you know, bumps us into those um, darker times when when we have to. And, and you know, as is life, we, we go through these ebbs and flows. And I think writing the book and the gift of, of hindsight, and especially when you're there, you know, mapping out, a book and, you know, filling in those blanks, you do get to see where those dark spots were, how you descended into them and and the purpose of why you were there. And, you know, throughout the book, there's, there's many, there's many darknesses that I speak about, but as you said, I, I call it the, the alchemy of the human spirit, because as a, you know, as a jewelry designer in a past life, I love the concept of alchemy and, you know, the traditional meaning of turning base and dirty metals into gold and something beautiful. And as that relates to, um, to the human element, it's like, all right, well, we can't, 
um, you know, it's down in the trenches that we onboard or we, we leave down there everything that we don't need. And, and when we can shed that is when we can start the ascent. And that's not to say it's a one and done type of thing. It's like we, we go through that till we till we hit it again. And, um, you know, I guess probably probably the darkest pivotable, pivotable, pivotal moment in the book is um, when I talk about the relationship that I was in when I found out that my partner of three years was cheating on me. And I describe it like a, a Jenga set, the game of Jenga, where, you know, there was all these moving parts. And at the time, outwardly, like my career looked like I was having a dream run. My profile was doing all, you know, having all these incredible opportunities, I was in a relationship, all these things. But the thing with a, a Jenga tower is when you move one piece, you know, the whole thing comes crashing down. And, and that's really what happened in that situation. And that forced me into a darkness that, you know, in the book it might seem like I passed through it in a few months, but it stayed with me for, for a lot of years. And I was down there because I had to, um, you know, really sit with myself. And I often say it's in the dark we really start to see ourselves and, you um, you know, I, I really believe we, until we can shed what we're down there to shed, we we won't move through it. So um, I, I've communicated, yeah, a lot of those stories in the book. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, this is my language. I think of chronic illness as the mythological trip of Persephone, Absolutely. the queen of the underworld, and she mm-hmm. goes down a maiden. She has that relationship with death. She finds her sovereignty and mm-hmm. then she comes back up to the overworld. Absolutely. And that seems to be the cycle of part of your experience as you talk about it as well. It's not like, oh, I had this experience, worked it all out, now I'm set. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the entrepreneur journey is like yeah. this. And, and, you know, it's the hero's journey that we, you know, with Joseph Campbell and, and we're all we're all going through it. We're all on this, you know, spiritual path. It's just how much at the time or when we're going through it, how much we realise. And the way that you so beautifully put it in with in mythology is, yeah, you go down and you come back up a different person and, and she's much more equipped and she's got this beautiful, you know, shining armour on when she emerges and then she faces the next thing on the path. So and and everything in life is that. It's just how we're we're perceiving it. And there's also the shift in identity. I think what this is one of the most fascinating things to me um, because it's so stark in your book that there is this conversation with yourself about your brand and you and your identity. And I'm wondering if you could tell us, you know, that happens to all of us, but this happened to you on a in pretty big way. So could you share with us a little about, you know, what you have learned about working with your own identity? Yeah, I mean, when you ever so modestly name a brand after yourself, which I did, you kind of like, all right, well, I guess I'm in this for life. Um, you know, I did at 21, I didn't think too much about it. I just called it some of the wills. Um, and, you know, over that time and the brand, you know, got this incredibly loyal following and this um, exposure and Samantha Wills, which was a person, then became this brand. And then it's like, all right, well, Samantha Wills, the person and the brand coexisted because, you know, my story was was the brand's story and vice versa, right? You know, I was, I identified in my adult life as, as a jewellery designer. And then I remember one day in the office, um, you know, it was kind of because I was based in New York most of the time and when I'd come back and the phone would ring and if someone was calling for me, the person, who were like, Samantha Wills, you know, is the brand name. And then they're like, if they're new in the office, they're like, do we call her Samantha Wills or is that confusing? So 
people just started calling me SW and keeping the name Samantha Mills for the brand, which which was fine and that name has has stuck definitely. But then when you get to a point where like, wait a second, if the brand, if I no longer want to be Samantha Mills, a jewellery designer, what does that mean? Do I break up with that brand? Do I get the name? Does does the brand, can you even have that name after it's been so commercial? So, you know, there's a whole dichotomy, which I, I touch on in the book, but I really don't even think even at this point, you know, two years on after closing the business, I don't think I've even processed it entirely. Um, so that's from an outward sense. I think from an inward sense, um, working with the identity when you do have that public facing element, it can be, it can be almost like a, um, a double identity in a way where you're kind of showing up and having to be this, you know, hold it all together. And, and it, as you said, it's exactly the same with chronic illness. It's like an invisible illness no one can see, but you're pushing one way, but then doing all this work the other way. So it's, it's this constant juggling and it's, um, it can be exhausting at times. Yeah. And a lot of pressure because one of the things that happens and it's so clear that you tell it so poignantly is the expectations of others and not wanting to disappoint them and then all of that emotional dynamic that is going on while you're trying to work out who you are. Right. And I think we have to protect that. Like I I did an Instagram post recently, which I think you're referring to, which is I had my friends were coming over and they were going to celebrate my book and it was all great. And I was just so overwhelmed. Like I have so much on my plate and with the book coming out and it was just, it just all got on top of me. And I hate to disappoint like we all do. And I had to call my friends. I just, I can't do it today. They've got babysitters. They'd change their schedule. And um, and I think at the end of it, like people around you who love you, they understand. But for some reason, we take it upon ourselves that everyone's going to hate me. They're all going to get angry. And we we create it into a much bigger anxiety bubble than it already is for us. So I think returning to the facts rather than telling ourselves this fictional story around my friends are going to hate me. They're not going to want to be friends with me anymore, which just, you know, fans the flames that, that it's really everyone around you loves you and wants the best for you, but we often forget that. And you talk a lot about what I think of as that critical voice that's sort of embedded that every entrepreneur has, every woman has in the culture that we live. And I'm pretty sure you talk about fear and faith, like how to move through these processes. Could you share with us, you know, if you're sitting and you have things in your heart or you want to do, but you've really got this critical voice and you're really, really afraid, how do you work with that at any time in your career and your life? I think the words that you just use, work with it, is really important because I think for so long, and, you know, in the book I, I actually give imposter syndrome its own character, like it's an actual person in the book to me. Um, and I say that because I'm like imposter syndrome has been my plus one at events. He comes with me, you know, every whispers to me at night, he's, he's always there. And I think that for some reason we're like, I have to get rid of that, which is obviously yeah. the ideal. But I'm like, is it? I don't think it's possible to get rid of it. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to learn to live alongside you. I'm going to acknowledge you when I see you there, but I'm going to need a moment because I have to work on this. So I'm going to need you just to be quiet for a moment while I X, Y, Z. And I think when we stop trying to fight things so hard and, you know, try and jettison it from our lives, I'm like, let's just coexist for a minute and, and see how that works. 
And to what you said earlier about fear and faith, I, I think it's something and it's something that I'm really um, further exploring myself, the power of that, because I'm like every crossroads, and I talk about crossroads in the book, but that doesn't have to be a big life decision. It can be every single day decision. We could stand at a crossroads 100 times a day. And I think every time we're at a crossroads, we're always presented with fear and faith. So our ego mind loves familiarity. So take a relationship, for example. You know you're in a bad relationship, but, you know, it's it's easier to stay. It's, it's like, oh, no, well, what will happen if I leave? Even if it's uninspiring and awful and all the things you shouldn't stay, the ego mind's like, but you know it, so stay here. So that's the fear choice. The choice of faith is to be like, I'm going to take a step forward into something unknown and I truly believe that when we choose that faith, the step of faith, that's when we start to walk towards our destiny. And our destiny is the things that are that this soul contract we've signed when we come here and they're waiting for us to take that step of faith. The opposite to destiny is fate, where it's like it's a fated outcome. If I stay in this sphere, I'm, that's the fated outcome. So I think... You know, if and it's the hard, I'm not sitting here being like, I choose faith every time because I think in the book it's really clear I didn't do that. But um, I think when we look at it that way and look at if our ego thrives on familiarity, is this exactly in this moment where we want to stay forever? And I think it's a really powerful way to look at decision making. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I think one of the things that is so important if you're physically in pain or you're in the fetal position, which you talk about a number of times, both emotionally but also physically, yes. that we're, we're in that moment, there's also the reminder this isn't going to be forever and in pain that's hard. Absolutely. And I think in, you know, in the case in my um, medical sense, you know, and I talk about endometriosis in the book, which obviously is an outwardly invisible disease, definitely not invisible to the, to the woman, you know, experiencing it. And it's so common, one in 10 women experience it. Um, Until in my case, I was like, oh, this pain is just going to last another 10 days this month. And then you kind of, you know, numb it with some neurophone and as women were just like, oh, you know, it's meant to be discomfort. You know, that's the has told me that since I was little, you know, periods aren't a fun time and we, and we normalise this pain, but no one knows, you know, physically I can be like, well, you know, my hair's this colour, your hair's that colour, we can be like, we can compare that. But with pain, if I'm like, oh, I'm in a lot of pain and you're like, I'm in a lot of pain and we're talking about the same issue, there's no comparison so we we then just normalise what we're going through. Um, And I think that, you know, I was in the fetal position so frequently and even more frequently as it just progressed that um, uh, until I started really listening to my body and, and and started to put her first rather than dismissing her as I'm too busy, I'll get to that in a moment, then I couldn't see an end to the pain. And it was only when I started honouring that to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to you. And I kind of, uh, I put the analogy like my little puppy dog, if he looks up at me and he's crying at the same time every month, I wouldn't be like, you'll be right, like get on with it. So why do we not treat our own bodies with that? In my case, I did not treat my body with the same respect. So it's um, a long lesson for me. (laughs) Well, I think it's a long lesson for all of us actually as women because what happens is emotionally we are taught to not make anybody uncomfortable and we're taught to people please and this is ingrained very early and we become a public front 
to everybody else's emotions rather than our own. And what I heard in your book is that pushing through was part of the way you did business before your body even started to signal to you. Definitely. And it's, it's, and I don't know if we ever undo that thought process, to be honest. Like if you think about how early on it's, it's globbed onto us, even in a DNA sense, like we just absorb, we might've seen our mum do whatever it is. And like, I don't think, I don't think in my lifetime I'll ever be able to undo that true, um, you know, thought process in my mind, but it's a different thing to then be aware of it and, you know, even conversations like this. And I know as, as a society we're starting to talk about it a bit more and at least being aware of it's a start, but I truly think it's so ingrained in us. We've got so much to undo before we can redo, if that makes sense. And where do you think the entrepreneur spirit goes from creativity like from that spark to push through and then overextend how did that work for you because that looks like the journey I think that's every entrepreneur's journey like there's no rationality as a creative entrepreneur I don't think it's um you know when and when people are like oh work-life balance I'm like who who made that up like that's that's definitely not a creative entrepreneur's um terminology so I think um I think, you know, purely as a 90% creative person, I'm, I'm driven on that. And it just lights something inside of you. And when it holds your curiosity, come hell, come hell or high water, nothing else really matters. And you just push forward and push forward. And which is great in some ways, don't get me wrong. It's, it's that drive. Um, but there has to be a point, and I, th- I think this comes down to listening to our body because our body's like, you know, you're tired, you need to sleep, you're, you're run down, so I'm going to make you sick. There's, there's all these things, but it will whisper to us for so long and then it just starts to shout, and that happens in the entrepreneurial sense as well. And I think for so long we glamorised, you know, I'm so busy, I can't do this, I haven't had a holiday in three years, and it's like, there's nothing glamorous about that. And especially if, if you value your work and you value what you're putting out into the world, you should be taking a lot of time to rest and recharge if, if you do value yourself as, as that vessel. So, yeah, I, I think the entrepreneurial um, spirit, as we talk about it, you don't realise how to nurture it until you actually burn out and you've got to be like, oh, okay, I'll revisit that. But I think, I think that burnout in a way is important. Right. And so it seems to me that that burnout also came with your body being in pain to a point where you're like, okay, this isn't normal. I'm wondering if you can talk to us about that moment where you thought, actually, this really isn't working. And then there's an amazing journey, like it's a big journey you go through at that point. Yeah. So, um, I mean, to, to, add context just really quickly so I was in the relationship I said that broke down in 2015 I was on the pill um since I was 17 years old so I was probably 35 by this point and I was like I'm just going to go off the pill and give my body a bit of a break and um you know my cycle just instantly was like much heavier very very painful and I'm like oh okay well maybe this is what happens after you go off the pill there was hardly any information I, I truly I probably hadn't even heard about endometriosis at this point. Uh, I mean, I might have heard it, but it's not something I'd be like, maybe it's that. Um, So I jump on the good old internet and start Googling symptoms, which is a really bad idea. But we see these headlines and it's like, all right, well, when you get older, your period gets heavier or it gets more painful. And I'm like, okay, 
I normalized it, push forward, push forward. So over the next few years, just, you know, up to my dose of Nurofen every month and, and tried to numb my body. I would be like, you're annoying me. This is um, hindering my life and just really treat it like it was an annoyance rather than a sign to go and get help. And, um, you know, as time progressed and in 2018, um, I decided, I made the decision to close my business um, and we did a six month closure. So by the start of 2019, my pain was so chronic and so bad. It, it felt felt like entire organs were passing through my body 10 days a month. And it just, it got so bad that it just spiraled really quickly. So um, I, I preface that because once I finally got to the doctor, um, and when I say finally got to the doctor, I would do all my medical stuff back here in, in Sydney because I was back and forth from New York. And in my mind, I truly at this point had just completely normalised that it's, it's a heavy period and it is what it is. And so I was in the doctor seeing about something else and I was kind of like, oh, while I've got you, you know, I've got, I've got some really bad period pain. And she's like, okay, I need you to go and see this specialist. This doesn't seem right. And she gave me the referral. And the specialist was um, had an availability like a week or two weeks later. And then I had a meeting, you know, just before that in New York. And rather than waiting a few extra days and taking that specialist appointment, I got back on the plane and was like, I'll deal with that later. And even uh, like it still upsets me now to, to think that wasn't that long ago. And so anyway, when I finally got myself to the, the specialist and she, you know, did all the, the tests and things and she sat me down, she said, you've got two fibroids on your uterus the size of oranges and you have chronic stage stage four endometriosis and I don't know how far it's spread through your body like we need you in an operating theater and that was a moment of almost relief where I'm like oh okay this isn't this is doesn't have to be my life this isn't you know isn't normal but it's also a moment of shame where you're like how did I like the, the look the doctor gave me of empathy was one I was unable to show myself and um it was a really sobering moment so yeah to, to then you know move forward from there but I think then once this there is a diagnosis and you know there's a lot of um women I know that you know and specifically speaking on endometriosis where it's just not that well um I guess, research, like there's a lot of research coming out around it now, but even in a medical sense, like women will go in and literally the amount of messages I get where they're like, I went in and spoke to the doctor and he told me just to, it's a period cramp or take, and and they then, you know, you feel you're crazy because you're like, well, hang on a sec. So um, I think getting that diagnosis is a moment of relief for everyone and brings this, you know, light at the end of the tunnel on finding a treatment plan and finding what's best for you. So but yeah, it was um, it was it was a lot, and I'm I'm not proud of it. It was as I write in the book in that operating theater, I was just in floods of tears to for many different reasons. So it was a journey to say the least. There's something so powerful in the relief of the diagnosis, and yeah. there's a grief as well. And part mm-hmm. of what you're talking about is that grief for not having attended to body earlier, and the right. pain that you endured that potentially wasn't required but we do this with ourselves not only are we sad for what we have but then we're sad about ourselves not attending to ourselves and that is just imagine if you treated someone else that way you know like if someone was asking for your help and you put them off for 10 years and I think someone is an out-of-body experience don't you think but when you talk about that grief it's almost like you want to hug yourself, but you are yourself, but you've treated yourself so badly. So it's, it's, it's very powerful. 
And there's a moment there um, that really touched my heart because you're there in that surgery and there are women around you, you know, nurses and doctors, and it feels like when you write about it you felt really well cared for by the women in the room. Absolutely. Like even when I wrote it and even when I read that article, so that, that part in the book back now, it, it still makes me tear up that these, especially the lead surgeon, Dr. Harry Moore, was just an angel in scrub. She was just like the best. And then she had a female team around her and they just, they held me. And it was, and I, I talk about that in the energy sense where they were just like, you know, we'll take good care of you. We'll take good care of you. And, and they did. And it was, it was just the most, it's really hard to put into words how special it actually was in, in a situation like that. It was it was very divine feeling. Yeah, I certainly felt it, and um, which is a testament to your capacity to take the feeling and translate it across the page. And I also felt that heart of me thinking, oh, somebody had pain and chronic illness and chronic pain, and women were there for her, and that is really to me why I started the PJ interviews is so that we can have these conversations that you're not alone. Um, And that to me is what part of what your book is about is also saying you're not alone. Yeah, and I think, and, and to your credit and to the, the platform you've created, it, these stories are so important and it's, it's within storytelling that we see a bit of ourselves in others and, and vice versa and that is the connection and I think especially as the world is now and, you know, a chronic illness as one thing and then the world the way it is now is, is so isolating um, both physically and emotionally. So I think, you know, it's really important um, first to be vulnerable and then second to have these stories facilitated and, and, and exchanged. So, yeah, it, the work you're doing is, is so needed. So hand on my heart. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. One of the things that um, I really got out of reading you is like you weren't afraid to tell everybody through this book all the things you did and that included it seems to me fine-tuning your intuition and working out how to listen to that voice. Can you share with us what it feels, what that voice feels like and how you know it's real so that we can also learn to listen for it? Yeah, so I think the word intuition is not a new word to us, even as children. We know what the concept of intuition is. Um, I think for me as I got older and I, I can't even pinpoint exactly where I started to look at it as a much more tangible um, concept but you know I I talk about in the sense of the body where it's like you know like I said before the body tells you when it's hungry it tells you when it's tired it also tells you when something's not right it tells you when you know when we say gut gut instinct that means physically like that's a communication mechanism so um I think the times I mentioned when I hear a voice in the book which sounds incredibly woo-woo I understand um you know and there haven't been that many times like that time at the crossroads I I I felt a voice and it, it felt like it just enveloped me um so that's not a common thing for me to hear but I think you know it's about 
learning our own language of how our body is is talking to us, looking at where, you know, when I talk about synchronicities and I don't I don't believe in coincidences. I think if something happens, you know, twice, it's it's a message that's trying to guide you in the way you're going. So, you know, bringing our awareness to that and, and how it speaks to you might be different as how to, it speaks to me. And um, I think the, the place to start, though, is, is the body and, you know, what gives you goosebumps? Do you get goosebumps when someone's lying to you or do you get goosebumps when you're, you know, in, in fight or flight mode and and even journaling down, you know, I felt this way today and then X, Y, Z happened and then kind of, you know, cracking the code yourself in a way. But um, I think first and foremost, intuition starts with the body because she is such a magical being that just, you know, only ever wants the best for us and is, is trying to communicate with us all the time. It's just we're usually probably not listening to her. So we can start to listening to her a bit more. She's she's the keeper of the keys. And you went on a process where you trained yourself as well, like you went to learn mindfulness, you chose a range of things and you did them at a time which is, you know, no coincidence when you were not sure who you were or what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's what it seems to me opened you go, okay, I've got to find something new here. Well, I think a lot of things come comes out of our own frustrations, right? It's like once we get fed up with our own behaviour, that's when we make a change. And everyone has to do, you know, to truly follow that true authentic um, next step of, of our paths is people can tell us that they're blue in the face, here's what you should do, and until you get to that moment. And I think I was just, um, you know, at a loss. I had probably in the lead up to the decision to close the business was a two-year journey for me of like, hang on, is this just a creative block or has my creativity, you know, abandoned me completely? What what does that mean? And kind of grappling with that. So it's, um, I don't know, I think the realisation too that it is a process and it is a journey and it is one that is um, often slow to unfold because we're so impatient as human beings that we want the answer yesterday. Um, but, yeah, I, and... I think things meet us, you know, there's that saying that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear and teachers, um, you know, don't appear always in, in the forms that we think they're going to. They, they they come in many, many different disguises in our lives. So um, just an awareness of what is happening internally versus what is presenting externally. I think, um, you know, the things that are meant to cross our path when they do are, are there for a reason. And it also looks to me that you were really nourished by your parents along this process, but there were also times where you had to make a decision. You know, you'd accrued a lot of debt when you were starting to grow. Um, there was a lot of business advice. There were, It seems to me like there's a number of men coming in talking to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering... Did you learn different things about being a woman in business from what works for you than the way the world treats you or looks at you? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, having my own business from the age of 21 I and being in, in the fashion industry, it was quite a female-driven industry. Um, I think, you know, in my relationship with Jeff, my business partner in the book, he, he's kind of like the ultimate right brain, kind of like alpha male where I'm, um, sorry, he's left brain male and I'm very right brain, you know, very emotive. So I think the lesson, you know, when you come up against someone like that, and he and I were business partners for a very long time, um, you you take on a little bit of that. It was, I think for me, that journey was 
um, learning to find my own, you know, in this case, management style and way of doing business and not just adapt to his because, you know, that might have been the more the quickest and effective way, but it wasn't true to me. So I think, um, you know, we, we see things along, um, especially, I guess, in the sense of entrepreneurship of how we're meant to do things in, you know, in an effective way, but that's not always true to entrepreneurs who are heart-led. And um, so I think that was probably my biggest thing is owning that I don't have to be that hardcore masculine side as as a CEO or as a, you know, a founder. And um, it, it took me a, a lot of years to be okay with that. And you also learned about boundaries. You talk mm-hmm. in the book about learning to say no mm-hmm. and that seems like it is a constant conversation for us internally. But if you don't have the boundary, you don't actually create love and context and work that works for you and other people. Can you share with us what you've learned about working with boundaries, particularly in a female-orientated business? Yeah. I mean, I'm still pretty terrible at boundaries, to be honest. I'm I'm very aware of them. Um, And I also, I think even even worse is I'm aware of them and I can see when I'm not putting them in place and I see what it does to my my soul and my body and, and everything. So, um, yeah, I, I think as uh, an entrepreneur, as a solo entrepreneur especially, like you, you get things thrown at you a lot and the burnout is, is super quick because it is just you. Um, I think in a female-driven company, you know, and we, we were a young female team as well. So obviously there's a lot of um, emotion and a lot of, you know, things flying around that way. So putting in this kind of structure and support that I guess, I guess, you know, is is boundaries, but in a way that also nurtures rather than, you know, it's, a, it's not a hard no boundary, but it's, it's a nurturing one on both sides. So you have to be like, hey, I have to put a boundary here because here's why that's important to, to my health or well-being or spirit. And, you know, that also helps that other person as well. So um, I think anything around putting in things, putting things in place we're probably not comfortable putting in place. If we can do it with um, an empathy and, and communicate that empathy, I think that makes it a lot easier to, to put it in place and it's, it's then received by both parties as it's intended. And you're, you're moving because a boundary is flexible. So it is a conversation. It's not a, I can't do this, it's over. Absolutely. And I think that's the difference between giving up and, and surrender. You know, I talk about surrender a lot where, you know, the word in itself might, might people might think, well, I'm surrendering, I'm giving up, where it's like, no, I'm surrendering the struggle. It's like I'm surrendering, I'm putting my hands out and, and unclenching my fists to, to see the natural flow rather than this, you know, you know, hard struggle of just anxiety holding on to a set outcome. So I think it's the same in, in that context as well. Yes, Jacinta Parsons talked about that. She's an ABC presenter and she talked about, you know, a lot of pain, unable to move through Crohn's for a long period of time and she learned to put her palms out so that she could also receive the love that people wanted to give her because it was so painful for people to love her to her. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. It, it makes, you know, and it, it seems so easy to do this, but it's it's kind of the hardest thing in the world to do. So it's 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 a real journey, yeah. And you've made a clear choice. Like it's very clear to me, you have chosen to tell what's true for you authentically and in the vulnerability. Could you mm-hmm. share with us why 
you have made that choice? Um, I think I made it initially, you know, and I've, I've always been quite candid on my business journey with the Samantha Wallace Foundation over the years. And when I when I really consciously started to share business stories with that vulnerability, it was probably at a time where, you know, Instagram was in its peak highlight mode. Um, and when I started to share more vulnerably, I just got this wave of incredible energy back and it, it and that's to me what manifesting in manifesting is not this mood board where we pin you know a dream car and, and holiday destination manifesting to me is getting to your true authentic self and then what is authentic to you has room to connect it's the magnet that connects to you so for me I want to have vulnerable conversations so in that case I need to be vulnerable to attract that um everyone's going through you know as in an entrepreneurial and startup sense everyone's going through the exact same shit just no one was really talking about it so it just opened this whole you know in my orbit conversation around this this realness and for me um there's nothing more exhausting than trying to uphold living as anything other than your true self and it's whether we know it or not if we're trying to uphold something that's not authentic it just drains our our life energy and it's I just didn't I don't have the patience or the <laughs> the energy for it so you know I, I wanted to, to tell vulnerable stories and have vulnerable conversations and I think that's what makes it such a beautiful way of connecting with others and particularly if you're living with chronic illness, you know, a lot of the world wants you to be well and wants you to be well fast and there's a lot of advice about what you should do. But there's something about having a conversation between people living with pain that both affirms the experience but normalises it within a, there is a safe community, there is space for you. 100%, yeah, and I think it's, and it's the most, I don't say simple as, and it's a simple act to do, but the, the simplicity of being like, oh, hey, this happened to me, and then someone's like, oh, my God, that happened to me too. And it's like, hang on a sec, we've both been holding this back and it's this, and then here's my community, here's my community. Like the opening the door a tiny bit with your truth just opens a whole new world of, of, of embrace, I think. And so now that you've you know, gone through this massive journey and with the endo, how do you care for yourself now? Like how do you live now having been through this process? Yeah, it's, it, to be honest, I wish I could be like, oh, I'm, you know, I listen to my body all the time now. And sometimes I just, and I'm just like, or my partner will be like, have you gone to the doctor about X, Y, Z that you said the other day? I'm like, oh, not yet. I'll get to it. He's like, do you need to reread your book? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, I'm not by any means sitting here being like, I've worked it all out and I'm, and I'm applying that. I definitely think that, you know, an endometriosis is is an ongoing issue. It's, um, you know, I'm back at the doctor every six months now getting more ultrasounds and it, it grows back so you, you find a treatment plan. I think how I'm living it differently is it's not a long put off. It's, it might be like, oh, I'll get to that next week and then it's like holding myself accountable to that. So um, definitely treating my body, I think, with much more respect around timeframes of, of being kind to her. And in terms of knowing that the endo grows back and that, how have you reconciled that with yourself? It's like, is this something that's just part of me and I'm going to care for myself? Or do you still have those frustrations of like, are you kidding me? 
Um, no, well, I think my treatment plan included um, a marina IUD, which essentially um, stops your period in, you know, for treatment. Um, so for me, that that specific treatment plan has been a game changer for me. Like, and it's not for everyone, um, but for me, it was a game changer. Like, it gave me ten days of my life back a month. Like, just incredible. So that has just taken a whole weight off. So I think my approach to it now is um, one of needed awareness. Like, I needed to to pay much more attention to my body and what she was saying. And I think it's allowed me to tap into my intuition more and, and get to know that language a lot quicker than I probably would have. Um, do I want the illness? No, no I don't. But um, I think, you know, I, I see I see why I have it. I, I, I see that my platform needed to be more than jewellery and, you know, here's my outfit of the day. It's like, all right, let's talk about this and let's let's add a normalised conversation around it. So, no, I'm, I'm okay living alongside of it. And, you know, it's still very early days. I've only been diagnosed a, a year now. Um, and it, it is growing back. Like, you know, six months, they're like, yeah, we'll probably have to do this operation again. So, um, but, yeah, it's, it, it's living alongside it and, and I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah, I think what's amazing and what you're sharing is the... Um, it, it's part of the experience and you've learned how to use it for your life. Like you've learned how to make sense of it in a way that makes sense for you and create meaning in your life through it as opposed to severing it and saying I'm going to ignore it or this is, this is terrible forever. Right. And I think anything we ignore lingers, right, until in a way till we, um, not saying that you have to embrace it with open arms, but I think ignoring things in my experience, just they come back knocking even louder. Is there anything else you would like to share with women in this moment um, just that's important to you for women to know or through the book? Um, I mean, hopefully I communicate my journey in the book that I hope that the thing that people take out of it is to um, trust in the process. And I realise that's quite a disposable and overused statement, but I think in the gift of uh, that I've been given of hindsight to be able to sit down and kind of map this past 15 years out, I'm like, man, at, at this point I was so anxiety ridden and I'm like, oh, it, it worked out all okay kind of thing. So just... I don't know, my, my message would be I hope just even if you can release the grip even a little bit halfway and just bring your awareness to what is presenting because there is just so much, you know, infinite beauty and opportunities of things that we, you know, we have such a, a tunnel vision and things are meant to work out this way and it's step one, two, three. I'm like, man, if we can step outside of that and be like, wow, and I, I couldn't do that for a long time. So I hope that in the book um, that people can take that away and just just look up and around a little bit more. It suddenly really moved me and it touched my heart and, you know, I've embarked on this journey of coaching women with chronic illness and going that entrepreneur experience while doing it and I was like, oh, phew, okay. (laughs) It's not my first business but there's a difference between being me in the world and you know, running a business that's about highlighting other people. 
Absolutely. And, and as I say, when, you know, these stories are now no longer, I'm, I'm pointing here because I, I have a book here, so I keep yeah. pointing to it. Um, these stories are now no longer just my stories. If you see a bit of yourself in these, they're our stories. And if, you know, people take from it what they need. And and it is true, we are all connected in, in some way, whether that is through chronic illness, whether that is through experience. So, um, yeah, I, I hope this, I hope reading this book feels like a hug to a lot of people. And I, I hope that I have this opportunity to speak with people like yourselves and, and share stories like this oh thank you so much we're going to put all of your links to the foundation as well as to the book so women can go and catch it and what I want to say about that is Samantha has truly captured that descent and the rise in the cycle and you will find the resonance of your heart and your being and your soul through reading this book Michelle, thank you so much. That's so lovely. I appreciate those words so, so deeply. So thank you so much for your time and this opportunity. Connecting with Samantha Wills has been one of the most delightful aspects of my year this year. I reached out just really gently to her on Instagram. She immediately said yes, and it's been a love affair ever since. I'm part of Samantha's community and what I want to share with you is firstly that you can be that too if you follow her at Samantha Wills on Instagram plus you can follow me at Michelle Irving official on Instagram and you'll also find details in our show notes about how to join the pajama interviews community which is a gorgeous Facebook group where you will have direct access with me plus connecting with other women across the world who just like you are navigating how to live with chronic illness and also stand in their authentic power. I'll see you next week.